Thank you, Megan. I'm going to use this mic, everybody, because the other one was being funny. And in case I want to tell some jokes, I could just go over to the brick wall. So this will work. Comedy Club, you get it. All right. Well, welcome again, everyone. I'm so glad you're here uh, together today in person, as well as you online. If you're new or visiting with us, my name is Eric Henderson. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, we're beginning a new series here uh, today called Gather, Grow, Go. And if you've uh, been around Bethany, you, you may uh, remember that we do this series annually in September across our six uh, local Bethany locations. It's really a a time of vision series for each of our locations uh, as we enter the fall together. In addition to studying God's word and the message, as we always do, these three messages will speak to uh, the core work of the church, worship, discipleship, and mission. Uh, In other words, we gather, grow, and go. Uh, This is how we fulfill our calling in the world to to be God's dwelling place, to show people how to live like Jesus, uh, and to share the good news with with our lips and with our hands and with our feet. And in this week's, uh, this year's series, we'll be rooted in a, a different psalm each week for the next three weeks as our primary scripture. And then uh, throughout, we'll uh, be sharing examples of how us as a local congregation, the church is a people, not a building. So how we together uh, are gathering, growing, and going, and the vision around that. And the most important message is that there's a part for all of us to play, as Megan uh, just mentioned. So today we begin by uh, considering why it is that we gather on Sundays. What value is there in showing up a week in and week out to, to sing, to pray, to read the Bible, to give money, to shake a few hands? Uh, and you're like, hey, we're here. We get it. Yes, you are here. And it's important for us even to be reminded while we're here why it is that we do this. Why is this important? And this is a great question because... Uh, Many of us are renegotiating our lives kind of in this post-COVID world. We're trying to decide what's worth our investment of time and energy. What will help me grow? What will help me be happy? What will help me hopefully do some good in the world? And in Psalm 73, our text for today, uh, Asaph, uh, David's worship leader, this psalmist, he looks around and he sees those living their lives apart from God. Uh, He sees them prospering. And he begins to wonder if he's got it wrong. Instead of walking away, though, he, he brings his lament into the house of God. And in the process, he discovers three outcomes of gathered worship, perspective, guidance, and glory. So pray with me as we open God's word and we'll unpack these together. Uh, God, thank you for this uh, moment of, of peace and rest as we sit here uh, safely and comfortably in your sanctuary. God, we ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to us through your word. God, we ask that you would grow us as your people in this time. Um, We're mindful today of the anniversary of of the attacks on 9-11. Would you remind us uh, today that there is great evil in the world and that you are with us in the midst of that? Would you remind us of the sanctity of of human life? Would you uh, lead our country to to truly be a, a, a beacon of freedom and and prosperity for all people. God, there's uh, a long way to go. And yet uh, we thank you that you've invited us as your church uh, to walk with the world in that. So teach us now, Lord. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, uh, by way of an opening illustration, uh, years ago, I was, uh, we were rebuilding a deck at our house and I wasn't really doing it. There was an expert doing it and I was sort of doing things that he 
trusted me to not screw up because they were very simple. Uh, and he looks over at one point and I'm on a ladder, like trying to do something kind of behind me. And he says, Hey, you're too close to your work. Like get down, back up the ladder. And so I do. And man, all of a sudden I had this new perspective. I could actually do what I thought was really hard actually wasn't that difficult. And then I had the same uh, experience recently, this idea of being too close to my work. I was patching some drywall and it came to the part where I had to texture. And my challenge was that there was a four foot by three foot section, the texturing of which needed to match the whole like eight foot wall. Well, I'm this close to it, thinking that I'm nailing it and then back up and realize like I was coming in a little hot, a lot of texture, a little thick. And so my friend Megan reminded me, well, when that happens, you just wipe it off and start over. So I did. I wiped it off and I backed up. And as I did it, I paid attention. Do they match? And, and I should show a picture, but I'm not going to. It looks great. You never would have known that I, the homeowner, did it by myself. But we all lose perspective from time to time. We can get too close to our work and need to back out a bit to actually really see the reality of things. So what we're reading in our text for today is essentially Asaph's journal after the fact. He's gone through some things. He's acquired some wisdom and he's writing it down. And at the heart of it, Asaph's starting point is that there's a gap between what he knows to be true and what he's experiencing. And if you're still thinking like, why should I listen to this message as we all do? That's why, because I'd be willing to bet that in your life right now, it's full of gaps between your expectations and your reality, Uh, in your job, in your finances, in your relationships, in your body. Can the Mariners make a deep postseason run? Finally, are Geno Smith and Drew Locke really our quarterback options? There are gaps. Uh, and Asaph is sharing that how we respond to those gaps really matters. So he begins in verse one with this declaration, surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. He's essentially saying, I've been told, I believe that God is good to those who are good, but here comes the gap. He says, but as for me, Asaph was beginning to see the ungodly life as the good life. He's essentially saying, I was losing perspective. I was beginning to doubt what I believed and had been told because I looked around and saw the ungodly doing pretty darn well. Seattle comes up with great things to do when the weather's nice that aren't sitting inside this building. And sometimes that makes us wonder. But before we look again at what Asaph saw, there's this really important word for us here. He says it in verses two and three. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There's a saying, maybe you've heard it, thoughts become things. And Asaph was losing perspective because his mind began going down the road of, you know, I I bet it's actually better over there. Or man, that grass looks really green. And in Seattle right now, if you see some really green grass, you kind of wonder like, how are they doing that? And I'm like, that's not natural. There's some chemicals and a lot of water involved in that. But temptation sort of grows when we play this comparison game. And this is why the Apostle Paul encourages us to to take every thought captive. Maybe you've heard that phrase. It's okay to wonder or question, but where and to whom do we take these thoughts? 
Asaph was too close to his work and it, it led to this skewed perspective. And he makes this list of why it's better over there. Listen to his list. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence for their calloused hearts become iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They even mock God. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like, he says, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then he contrasts his experience in verses 14 and 15. And thoughts are becoming things for him as he says this. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. The scripture says uh, his mercies are new every morning. And yet in this moment, Asaph is saying, no, trouble is new every morning. It's kind of over here. Maybe you remember the movie Dumb and Dumber. And they say, we have no food. We have no clothes. Our pets' heads are falling off. He's starting to build this really glass half empty feeling. He's on this edge of, of honest doubt leading to, potentially leading to a lost faith. He's focusing too closely on the negative. He's playing the comparison game. They actually blind us to the true reality of things. When I was like this on the ladder, I couldn't see what I was doing, and I thought it was really hard. But when I backed up, I had perspective, and it was much easier. When we do this, we're not getting a, a closer look or a more accurate view. Instead, negativity pulls things out of focus. Was Asaph suffering? Yes. But was, were the ungodly really flourishing? Probably not. Pain can blind us to the truth and then make us feel alone. But we're not alone. And as you can see, being here together reminds us of that very fact. Asaph's foot had almost slipped, but he took the thoughts captive and brought them to the right place. And this was, there's this turning point that Asaph writes about. He was discouraged. He was envious of those not following God. His foot had nearly slipped. Then he says this in verses 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now, like Asaph, we're trying to understand the gaps in our lives. Why the suffering? Why the struggle? Is the Christian life worth living? And it's in the presence of God, literally in the sanctuary of God, in the temple, in the context of gathered worship, where Asaph finds the understanding that he's seeking. As I mentioned, he was David's worship leader. His name literally means gatherer of people. And in his prayer journal, he's writing to say, gathered worship brings perspective on your life, on your problems, on the world, those existential questions that keep you up at night. But here together in the presence of God is where we're able to back up and see things as they really are. There's a lot of talk, uh, in, particularly in the, the church world today, uh, about deconstruction. Maybe you've heard this term. This is a process whereby people renegotiate their belief system. They strip it down and, in theory, build it back up. It's often in response to these rigid or black and white churches or belief systems where, where harm has been done or, or perceived. 
And the insider conversation is sort of whether deconstruction is, is good or bad. Where does it come from? Is it just an excuse? But meanwhile, people are walking away from faith. And that's the real concern, the real story. But if Asaph were to weigh in, he is saying in this psalm, this prayer journal, that, that we need to bring the lament and questions to God into his house rather than trying to work it out on our own. And as, a, as worship leaders and pastors in the church, this is instructive for folks like me. That we need to be sure our gathered worship creates spaces for lament, that we're living with the questions that people's lives are asking. This is especially important because in my experience, many enter into this process of deconstruction and their first step is leaving the church. A gathered worship is the first thing to go. And perhaps this is because they, they believe this isn't where they will find the perspective that they need. Man, I don't know about that. Apostle Paul in Hebrews 10 implores us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. He's saying, lean in when it gets hard. Like this is the faithful Christian countercultural response when trouble comes, when division rises, to gather in together. Are we trying to build a a, a better, more honest and sustainable faith or are we simply looking for an off-ramp? Asaph's testimony is that perspective is found here as imperfect as these gatherings can be. And just to be clear, the the purity of heart that Asap references in in verse 1, it isn't this one and done state that you achieve by inviting Jesus into your heart one time or believing all the right things, and and then you're good. He's not talking about salvation, but rather this continual posture of repentance, of seeing and responding to our sin and then turning. So we don't get out of gathering by simply believing the right things and then going to live life on our own. The purity, rather, comes in the approaching God, in entering his sanctuary and presence regularly to meet with God and to be shaped by the Spirit with the whole community of saints. Maybe you've heard the term liturgy. There's, it literally means work of the people. There's a work of the people that we need to be about each week together, declaring the goodness and faithfulness of God, confessing our sins, giving back to God, retelling the gospel story, receiving communion together, pointing to our eternal hope again and again until Jesus returns. Sometimes people will ask, like, what's your church's vision? Like, what's your end game? What are you about? And I just kind of laugh because it's worship, discipleship, and mission uh, until Jesus returns and says, like, I'll take it from here. That's our end game. And really in that priority, that our first job as uh, Priests and princes in the kingdom of God is to be worshipers of God in his sanctuary together. But don't hear me saying that, uh, that inside the walls of the church is the only place that God meets us. The whole earth is God's dwelling place. But there's a unique way in which the spirit meets us uh, in gathered worship. This is a special time and place, and we're meant to be here together. I think it was Eugene Peterson who said, that you can no more be a Christian and not be a part of a church than you can be a person and not be a part of a family. But this gathering is core to our Christian identity. If you're here this morning and you're, uh, or you're listening online and you don't feel a part, there is a place for you. God designed you to be a part of his new family. Come next week to the ministry fair next door and, and find a place to jump in wherever you're at. 
And, and it's important to note, we're a church that, that honors questions and process. Maybe if you've been around Bethany in a while, maybe you've been frustrated by this. We often reject the, the black and white binaries that don't reflect the fullness of our experience. But with curiosity, we honor and sharpen one another. We think differently on many things individually, and we align on our commitment to looking more and more like Christ, to staying committed to God's word, and to using our gifts to bless and serve the world. And we align on our commitment to gathered worship as our core priority. Of course, we do this with unity and liberty and charity as the plaques above the doors in each of our buildings remind us. So there's a place for you in your current state to submit your broken, humble life to your creator and simply say, I am clay in your hands. If you're hardened and, and, and finished and you've arrived, perhaps the Christian life is not for you. I'm not saying that. I think Jesus is saying that over and over again throughout the scriptures. But if you're in process or in repair, you're in the right spot. It's out of this commitment to gathering as a community that we increasingly want to be gathering-centric uh, versus things like sermon or, or preaching-centric. I, I often get the emails like, hey, or a text. Hey, by the way, who's, uh, who's teaching tomorrow? Who's leading worship? What's the, what's the topic? Or uh, is there this class on this day in this building with this particular teacher at this particular time? Or could you just design that for me? Uh, are there donuts? How's the parking? By the way, different teachers each week uh, is, is by design. Uh, if you remember back to our kind of software analogy a few weeks ago, this is a feature, not a bug. There's not a problem. We are doing this on purpose. Uh, Richard is still our lead teacher here at Bethany Green Lake, uh, but as he has done for the last 27 years, uh, he is especially focused in the season ahead on developing the other teachers among us. And so this is a gift to us. This is how a church like Bethany is 106 years old. Uh, many of us grew up at churches that are baby buildings still, but they're not congregations of people because we didn't nail leadership development. So we're trying to do that uh, here in our midst. But I get it. We all have preferences in every area of church life but I'm suggesting that we leave those things behind out of a commitment to gathering because it's in this gathering that we find perspective. We're here to meet with God together. And like Asaph said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. So we gather for perspective. And then Asaph points to the, the final destiny of those living their lives apart from God and this future glory of those walking with God. And we'll talk about glory in a few minutes. But in the middle, between perspective and glory, gathered worship is this place where God offers guidance. We're going to consider that together, guidance. Let's look at verses 21 to 24 in Psalm 73. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Asaph came to his senses. God met him in the sanctuary and corrected his perspective. And he, and, and he says, I was like a beast, like an animal living for momentary pleasures. This is us oftentimes. Our, our hungers and our desires pull us. And we forget uh, our, our 
our eternity. We're always seeking to satisfy natural urges with no sense of eternity. But now in God's presence, Asaph remembers this eternal purpose and security that God is always with him and he is with God. It's important that he confesses this, that not only that God was with him, but that he was with God. It moved it from this external a truth that he believed to something he was actually experiencing. We are with God. We confess that together when we gather here each week. It's a simple but vital uh, part of us seeing the world correctly. You guide me with your counsel, Asaph said. This word for counsel speaks to advice or purpose or, or sense. Very importantly, he didn't say, you guide me with my circumstances or my feelings or my experiences. We live in a very a feelings-first culture. And sure, God can speak through those things. But too often, I think we come here and, and sing and listen to a message and then feel like we need to head out and kind of white-knuckle our way through life, figuring it out. And we'll often say this, like, follow, follow, follow your heart. I've said this before, but that's actually some of the worst advice that we could give somebody. Follow your heart. It, it kind of sounds like uh, you're on your own. And Jeremiah, the prophet, says that the heart is deceitful above all things and is beyond repair. And of course, we believe that God is at work in our hearts, that as we learn to live out from the Spirit and not just from our own souls, that God changes us. But Jeremiah provides a, later provides a better vision. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. It will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I want that. Isaiah 61 says we'll be called oaks of righteousness. Think of like the redwoods, just massive trees, trees planted by God to display his glory. We don't get there by following kind of our whims or even by, you know, self-discipline. I talked about stoicism a few weeks ago. It's ultimately bankrupt because it's doing it without God. It's just, you know, standing there trying to, to grow really hard, tall and deep, just willing that doesn't work. Instead, we plant our feet. We open our hands. And we simply receive, we drink in all that God offers. It's vital for us to understand that there is truth beyond our limited vision and experience. That this is actually the most important part of this psalm as I read it. Job discovered this even after all his suffering. I think it's 42, 60. He says some version of like, all of this is too wonderful for me. Like I give up. I thought I knew. I didn't know. There's a humbling uh, and a wonder that happens in that. Asaph is saying, here in the sanctuary, in the counsel of God, I see a glimpse of the bigger picture. The counsel of God is the, the purpose and guidance of God, the advice, the sense of God. And it's revealed to us uh, by the Spirit through God's Word. The God of the Bible is the God that we can know. As we walk with God, His counsel comes to us by the Spirit through the Scriptures true that all the revelation, certainly that we need, but I would say all that we can handle is found in God's word. And it's why we study it together here each week. This isn't to say that God is confined to the Bible. That's not the point. But all revelation of God must be measured by the Bible. If you feel a sense of revelation for your life that doesn't fall in line with scripture, I'll just tell you it isn't God. 
The guidance of God plants us like a tree by the water, drinking in and sharing life. And like Asaph, we need to lay down our perspectives and our ways of knowing to move beyond our limited experience. We've got to back out a bit and consider God's guidance. So like perspective, guidance is this outcome of gathered worship, and it comes by showing up empty-handed in this posture of receiving. Between perspective and glory, we're guided by God, never walking alone. And just briefly here, before our last point, and we receive communion together, this is a great spot to to pause and and share that this is an idea, this idea that we don't walk alone is something that we as a church want to make real in our life together increasingly in the coming season. So we're excited to be making a few changes in our gathering this fall. Our big theme for the year is around uh, relational health, that in kind of the post-COVID world, a lot of those, we've kind of atrophied in our connectedness to God and particularly to one another. And so we want to be connected. We want it to matter uh, when we show up to church. We want it to make it a little easier, honestly, to connect uh, to God and others. So toward that end, three things to look forward to, among many others, but I'll mention three. Uh, you saw it here today. We're back to having uh, kids and youth involved, uh, particularly in the first half of our services before they go to class, though they're welcome to be here the whole time. Uh, it's important for us to to not just be a, a multi-generational church, but to be an intergenerational church. And one of the ways we do that is by gathering for worship together, even if it's just the first 20 minutes. Uh, when I grew up, this was called big church. Uh, and But we really want uh, our children and youth to see this as their church. Come on. Yeah, amen? Okay. Uh, they're not the next generation, but like they're the current generation. They're not coming, they're here. And so we went up to the middle school camp a few weeks ago and got to share that. And I think they were like, is that true? So I told them it is. So if you can help by welcoming, receiving the children and youth among us, this is their church. If they want to wear a hat to church or flip-flops or whatever, let them. It's their church. They can come as they are. So this is a small way we practice that. Uh, Secondly, we're adding some adult Sunday school classes for uh, four or five weeks, five weeks upcoming that Pastor Megan is leading us in. I don't think Sunday school, but this is going to be a chance this fall as a pilot to learn from experts on a handful of topics on Sundays at 11. Uh, So that might change some for you all. You might come earlier or however that works out. We may move it around later. Um, That's a purposely vague teaser, but think Sunday school. We'd love for you to be a part. We've heard from you all that when you come on Sunday, you're looking for more ways to connect. And so this is one of the ways we want to do that. Lastly, we're not going to bring back the 7 p.m. service this fall. Uh, That service has been important to an increasingly smaller group of people. So we're just reading the tea leaves and are going to try something different. Uh, We're going to pilot uh, a thing on Wednesday nights, uh, three Wednesday nights, uh, beginning in mid-October, where we'll do some some teaching, some worship, and then kind of pop up small groups. So if you're looking for a way to come to church and have a small group experience, Uh, this could be a thing for you. We're going to steady it and hopefully repeat it again uh, in the winter. Again, just the pilot. So stay tuned for more of those things. Come to the ministry fair uh, next week to learn about all these ministries. All that to say, we're intending to gather well together uh, in the season ahead, to be intentional about our formation. And sometimes that even involves some deformation, that we've picked up some things Uh, kind of from our world and culture that aren't actually helpful. They run counter to the community, the kingdom that God 
uh, is building. And this isn't just for ourselves. This is for those that we'll invite into God's story. There's an author and a professor at Asbury, Christine Pohl, who speaks to this so well. She says, the ways we've been formed by church and culture have not given us the skills or virtues we need to be a part of the very communities we long for and try to create. While we might want community, it is often community on our own terms with easy entrances and exits, lots of choice and support and minimal responsibilities. The character of our shared life as congregations, communities, and families has the power to draw people to the kingdom or to push them away. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. Our gathered worship is the epicenter of this witness that she's speaking about. Every time we come here in in our broken and imperfect state, in the midst of our diversity and our disagreements, uh, we come here as broken and imperfect people. We testify that, that we're this new community that God is forming. And Asaph testifies to this in our, in our final outcome of gathered worship. Talks about glory. He says, you take me into glory. So what does this mean? You guide me in your counsel and afterward you take me into glory. When we gather, we're reminded of our eternal purpose and our security that we can know the end of the story as we'll celebrate in communion in a moment. And be sure that before, during, and after this life is God. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, beginning and end, as Scripture testifies. We know that the the world is adrift and looking for an anchor. And this eternal glory that is our great hope promises us that God is with us and we belong to him. There's this sort of nerdy and beautiful thing that happens in Psalm 73. It's revealed if if you follow the dominant pronouns throughout the psalm. I'll just kind of recap it for us. When Asaph is troubled by the fate of the ungodly in the first half, verses 1 through 12, the dominant pronoun is they. He's concerned with them. Then when he describes his own frustrated thinking leading to his resolution in 13 to 17, the dominant pronoun is I. And when he finds resolution of the problem, the the dominant pronoun is you in the sense of God. And when he proclaims the assurance of his faith and fellowship with God, the dominant pronouns are a mixture of you and I. This is a beautiful movement from they to you and I, us in a sense. The problems of the world come into perspective when we realize that we're not alone. When we back up a bit. We see our life clearly. We know that God is walking with us and we don't need to be distracted or compare with what's happening over there. We as a church are called out, set apart, as we learned last month in First Peter, that we're this unique and special possession, a new spiritual house made up of broken, but living stones. Today, each of us are broken, but we are alive, made alive by Christ. You know, we're, we're often asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And Asaph was actually asking the inverse. Why do good things happen to bad people? What Asaph discovered is that both were the wrong question. The question instead, as I see it, is, am I alone? In the midst of all that I'm walking through, am I alone? And the answer is a resounding no. That God's not asleep as Asaph wondered. God has not left you as you often wonder when you're suffering. Instead, God is near. That is no more apparent than when we gather together for worship. In the sanctuary, Asaph declared this. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. 
You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth nothing I desire beside you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I titled this message, The ROI of Worship. That stands for Return on Investment. Why invest in gathered worship? Because the return is that we discover we're not alone. We're given this eternal perspective and we receive guidance from God on how to live in between this world and the next. Perspective, guidance, and glory all found in God's presence. And it leads Asaph to conclude with this. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my strength. I will tell of all your deeds. A good life isn't found outside of God, as Asaph wondered as he looked around. Rather, it's found in a close relationship with God. That's the point of this psalm. So join me in prayer as we'll receive communion together, declaring that God is with us and is our refuge and our strength. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for this table. We thank you uh, for these gifts. We thank you that your life flows through us. God, I pray that you would bind us together, that we could maybe even now in our mind's eye picture uh, a table that just goes as far as the eye can see in both directions, that we're there with saints, we're there with this great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews mentions, uh, and you are there, the center of our life, uh, offering gifts. And so we just humbly uh, come to you today, Lord. We love you. Teach us now in your name. Amen.